welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM, brought to you this week by Squarespace and Circle. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Jason Snell. Hi, Stephen Hackett. I feel like I just saw you. <laughs> you did, just last week. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we it's... went to uh, to Houston. We We had no problems. No problems. This feels a little bit like the back-to-school trope where your kid has to write a report on what they did for the summer. Uh-huh. This is our what Liftoff did this summer. Yeah, what we did on our summer vacation. Yeah, exactly. Really just last weekend. Uh-huh. Yeah, so we went to Johnson Space Center and Space Center Houston, which are kind of two different things, but closely related. You were yep. going to be in Texas for some sort of uh, baseball, Other reasons. baseball spiritual yeah. uh-huh. quest. And you said, hey. Vision Quest. Yeah, Vision Quest. Yep. You said you said to me, you should come down and we should do this. And I said, that's a great idea. And so we spent a couple of days together in Houston. Didn't seem that hot to me, but seemed hot to some other people who may be from California. But you survived. It was steamy. It was, uh, it was steamy. It was it was steamy. Even you said it was worse than at home. So Yes, more humid in Houston than Memphis. Closer to the Gulf of Mexico than I'm used to being. Mm-hmm. But I had a nice time. Houston was fun. We had a meetup yeah. and some people came out. That was a lot of fun. We basically shut down this uh, this bar, which was pretty cool. Yeah, that was great. That was great. Um, I left my bag in your, uh, in your car while we went to take our tour. And I have a little follow-up from Ooh. that. Some which is that I had, a, which is I had a chocolate bar in there. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when I got home, I, I at the Houston airport, I did some uh, sock based mop up. I sacrificed a sock. Mm. Oh, so it opened and like was just everywhere. It was. It yeah. Oh, it no. was a molten molten uh, pool of chocolate at the bottom of my back. That's so sad. Yeah. I don't think about leaving bags. In, actually, when I by the time you dropped me off, um, and we had been driving to the to the airport with the air conditioning on, um, but I went through security, got to the gate, realized that the chocolate bar had melted, cleaned up my bag, then I opened my iPad, and oh, it no. was hot to the touch, and it said I'm too hot, and I had to let it cool down before <laughs> oh, I could use it. No. So it was thought, hot in Houston. Hot. I thought you were going to say it was covered in chocolate. So I'm glad that wasn't true. No. <laughs> oh, chocolate covered iPad. Tasty. Mm, the best. Anyway, it was that was a souvenir. So one of my socks is a big brown blob on it now. And that's my souvenir of uh, Space Center Houston. <laughs> you could have gotten a sweatshirt or something, but instead you got a chocolate covered sock. Yep. So we thought we'd, we'd talk a little bit about what we got to do. So kind of a different episode. There's lots of news going on. This is just our summer report. There is a corresponding blog post to this that is mostly photos. So that's in the show notes. I wrote it over on 512 Pixels. So you can load that up and see some pictures of what we're talking about. Because so much of the stuff we saw, like so many things in in the space industry, everything's very large, right? They, everything's big when it comes to space stuff. At least a lot of, a lot of things are. And so the pictures really, I think, are a treat. And it was fun to put that blog post together. Um, so go check that out. But uh, what we got to do was the the Level 9 tour through Space Center Houston. And there's a relationship between Johnson Space Center, which, of course, is like NASA, like the federal government. Space Center Houston is run by a 501c3. It's associated with the Smithsonian. And it's the official visitor center of Johnson Space Center. So they obviously work closely together. We were all over NASA property and in and out of NASA buildings, but sort of a, a separate entity. And they have 
like a public museum, which we're going to talk about that sort of stuff. And they have these tours and uh, we got to go on the uh, the special like level nine tour. Yes, we we paid. Basically, they've got the ability to take visitors to a whole bunch of amazing places over a long period of time. But first off, a lot of visitors don't want to do a five hour tour. And second, they I think they can't accommodate a large volume of people like the trams that you can take but when you go are uh, lo- long and have lots of people in them and i think they realized that they had to limit access to other parts because um they just there, there was no way that they could bring that volume of people through these mm-hmm. other parts so what they did is they created this level nine tour which is 180 bucks it's not cheap but if you host a space podcast i think it's worth it so we did it that's right uh we did so I thought we could talk. We could start by talking about what we got to see uh, at Space Center Houston itself, sort of their their museum, for lack of a better word. It's sort of like part museum, part like there's some kid. There's a lot of kids stuff to do. It's a, it's a fun spot. But the the highlight for me there was definitely, uh, to no surprise, <laughs> our podcast listeners as the hardware guy. Uh, they have some amazing pieces of flown hardware. So they have the yeah. capsules from Mercury Nine. Gemini 5 and Apollo 17. And they're all, you kind of walk through this timeline of space exploration. So you see Mercury and the Gemini's up above you, and then you walk into the room with Apollo 17 sitting in it. And I've seen, as have you, as I'm sure many of our listeners have seen these or mock-ups of these before. And every time I see the Mercury capsule in particular, it's like, those guys went into orbit eventually and basically uh, a refrigerator or a washing yeah. machine. <laughs> They're yep. so tiny. Yeah, I mean, you can barely fit a human being in them. And even the Gemini capsules are ridiculous in their size. And they would they would spend pretty long... They were trying out some long-duration stuff, as we mm-hmm. discussed in our Gemini episodes. And uh, it's small. The Mercury is ridiculous. The Gemini is is very small. And then Apollo is way bigger, but it's still not big uh, you know really when you think about it yeah i mean three people in there you know every time they moved a new program they added a crew member right so it's not like all of a sudden you had twice the room gemini's like no you're now sharing that with somebody uh you've upgraded from a washing machine to being inside a deep freezer with somebody else and um and the uh they have like dummy astronauts in them and that that really helps me at least with scale it's kind of hard to kind of right wrap your mind around what's going on until you sick. Oh, there's a like a human-sized dummy in there and holy cow, it takes up all the space. And speaking of scale, I want to mention that they also have a test lunar module that is kind of hanging in the main area of Space Center Houston, and that is interesting scale for a different reason because I don't know what it is, but I always think of the lunar module as small. And it's not. It's big. If anybody saw that Jeff Bezos uh, thing where he did the uh, blue moon uh, lunar lander mock-up mm-hmm. for Blue Origin. Um, it was behind him, and it's very large. And like the lamb was was big. And now keep in mind too that when we see the 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 Apollo seventeen command module, we're not seeing the service module, right. which was the big backside of it because it gets gets popped off uh, when it's returning to Earth. 
And so we don't see that. And with the limb, there's the part with the people up top, the the ascent stage, and then there's the descent stage that uh, stays on the moon. So you know you're you're seeing with with a limb mock-up, you're seeing both parts, and with the capsule, you're only seeing the one part. But still, it's funny to look at the capsule and think this is much smaller than I thought it would be, and to look at the limb and say, "Wow, this is actually much bigger." But of course, it is because an astronaut has to climb down those steps and get to the lunar surface and all of that. But anyway, it was fun to see all of that in uh, in actual one-to-one scale, as they call it. There's a lot of one-to-one scale happening at Space Center Houston. Yeah, yeah, the, most definitely. After you see the Apollo 17 capsule, and the way it's set up is you can walk all the way around it. Mercury is sort of just in a display. You can't really approach it. Gemini is overhead, so you can look up into it, which is kind of a fun way to, to display it. And Apollo, you can walk all the way around that capsule. Um, but then they have what was a real treat for me because I I love the lunar rover. I'm really excited to talk about that in the future when we get to those those later Apollo missions. Mm. And they have a, a training vehicle from that program. And it's in this landscape where there's a rocks and dust. And it's sort of like at a jaunty angle as if you're like climbing over a hill in it. And I've seen, Kennedy has one of these. Every time I see it, uh, and I think you said it, and you said exactly what I was thinking. It looks like a couple of dudes just built it in their garage. Like, it's yeah. like if you and I built a go kart to go to the moon, uh-huh. we would have built this. Yeah, it's it's fun to see it. Every time I see it, every time I think about it, I think about how ridiculous it is that they built a car to run on the moon. A- and really, follow me here. Little tiny Mercury capsule, little tiny Gemini capsule. And then we get to Apollo 17. It's like, okay, we did all this work to get to the Apollo capsules, all this work to build the limb, right? And you're thinking, you know, boy, they just, especially if you think about like Apollo 11, they just got to the moon by the skin of their teeth. It's amazing that they got there. All of that's true. Mm-hmm. What? And then it's like, what if I told you uh, a couple of years later, uh, we built a car <laughs> to go on the moon? It's like, now that's, that seems like a leap. That seems yeah. kind of unreasonable. And no, they they built these things, and I can't wait to do an episode about uh, about them too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is fun to look at them because the seats are basically like lawn chairs, yeah, <laughs> with the legs cut yeah. off, and the tires are uh, wire, mm-hmm. basically, which is for for to keep them light. They're woven. It's it's a fascinating thing. So that was really cool to see one of those test vehicles close up because um, they're they're so unlikely to exist mm-hmm. in the world. <laughs> And they were they were extremely successful. So to spoil a little bit what we talk we're going to talk about in two years, Apollo fifteen drove twenty eight kilometers on the surface. Apollo sixteen was twenty seven. Apollo seventeen drove thirty six kilometers. Thinking about we just talked about Apollo eleven, like you said, they got out for a few hours, did a few things, and then got back in and left. And how much progress they made over those landing missions. Hey, we're going to go drive. 35 kilometers, you know, that doesn't mean they were like 35 kilometers out, but they were a long way out from the limb at certain points. And it's it's really, um, it was really neat to see it, to see it again. Like I said, I saw one at Kennedy because it really, to me, more than, maybe more than any other part of Apollo hardware, to me signifies the ambitious nature of the program, right? Like we landed, what else can we do? And I'm sure when whatever meeting this came up in the first time, people laughed and rolled their eyes. But it, to me, it's just like the thing. It's like, man, we we were ambitious in that program, and they really wanted to push the limit of what we could do. 
And when you're talking about future um, moon and other space missions for crewed missions, um, I think this is a spirit to keep in mind. I think I do like this, the idea like, well, why not? I actually, you you um, posted on our, our Tumblr on uh, liftoffpodcast.space that um, this video about the uh, the helicopter that's going in the Mars 2020 mission. And that that gave me the same kind of feelings about it, which is like, this seems kind of ridiculous and yet brilliant and possible. And let's try it. Let's let's do this. And um, that that uh, that that space car (laughs) that they built feels like that. Also, it's an electric car, which is fun. Mm Except it didn't have rechargeable batteries, which I think is also funny. So it just it had batteries and they had range, and that was how much range. Um, and the other little trivia bit that we picked up that I thought was really funny is it actually had a very long range, but they 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 could drive around, but they didn't want them to drive too far out because if they drove too far out and got stuck or it broke, um, it would be too far for the uh, the astronauts to get back to the limb, and there's nobody to pick them up. Yeah, you can't call a tow truck. Right. If it, only. <laughs> lunar lunar uh, towing service didn't exist. Uh, we, we also got to see uh, a, they call it, I think they call it the Lunar Sample Return Vault. And there are actual lunar sample returns. They're all behind glass. You kind of see the, the big cases they existed and the tools they use. But it's also one of the only eight moon rocks that can be touched. But as, as you remarked when we were in the room... Maybe touched and moon rock are a bit of a stretch. All these moon rocks are like they've been tumbled in a rock tumbler. They're super smooth. It's pretty funny because um, everybody touches them. And so in the end, it is a moon rock that you're touching. But you're also, I mean, you're touching a thing that's been smoothed down by, it may be more uh, human skin oil than rock is what I'm saying. But still pretty great. And I I remember touching uh, the one at the Air and Space Museum uh, both times I've been there. So it was fun to... uh, to have another little lunar encounter. And of course, that, this is where, as we said in our Apollo 11 episode, uh, Johnson Space Center is where not only the astronauts, but all of the moon rocks were brought back to a processing facility where um, where they were kept, and a lot of them were kept in uh, like a nitrogen uh, atmosphere just to keep them kind of uncontaminated by the Earth. Uh, so yeah, that was a fun little uh, little bit, the moon vault. There's some showmanship there too, right? Like they're, they're showing you kind of what... Uh, st- sort of sterile conditions were being maintained by the people who are analyzing the moon rocks. Mm -hmm. And I'll put a link in the show notes from uh, Smarter Every Day, which is a a YouTube channel, where uh, Destin got to go into one of these vaults and see behind the scenes and how they're cataloged and worked on. It was, it's a long video, but it was really interesting. So if you want to know more about how those Sample returns are, are, are handled even today. I mean, this is ongoing research on these things. Uh, definitely check out that video. It's it's pre- it was pretty eye opening to me just how detailed and um, how protected all the work is because we only have so many of these things. And you think, well, they brought back hundreds of pounds. Well, that, that's fifty years ago, and they get they've gotten scientists from around the world can apply f- to, to work with them and to have research projects on them. So they get cut and shared and, and sent back. And this video goes into that whole process of how they're tracked. And it was pretty interesting. Well, we, what else did we see? We went outside into the heat, into the humidity. We did. And after we, we recovered, we saw a pretty cool sight. Yeah. So what, what they have at uh, Space Center Houston out in the outside is uh, a 747 
<laughs> which they had to disassemble in order to bring to Space Center Houston from the uh, air base that's nearby because it's too big for roads. Uh, and then they put it back together. And what's notable about this 747 is although it started life as an American Airlines 747, it was converted into shuttle character shuttle carrier aircraft. This is one of the, I think, two 747s that was used to mm-hmm. ferry space shuttles back from their landing or from other work being done on the other side of the country back to Kennedy Space Center. Mm-hmm. It was also used in the launch tests for the Space Shuttle Enterprise when they were testing the gliding capability of the space shuttle back in California. So this is a specially modified, and by modified, they mostly mean they ripped out as much stuff as possible from (laughs) the 747 to get it light. And then they put, like, weights in various places in order to counterweight the space shuttle, um, which is fascinating, too. So they they had to put like iron in the front and then when the space shuttle was loaded on it had, the weight changes and then they had to put like a ton of uh, of of rocks in the back in the <laughs> cargo hold like there's all sorts of things they had to do for this very unlikely vehicle which is the idea of having a uh, a space shuttle a whole space shuttle riding on top of a 747 to get it around seems like you talk about weird ideas seems like a weird idea but you got to get that space shuttle around you have to if it if it has the ability to land anywhere that includes like abort procedures in Africa and Spain and all sorts like during the launch there are all of these different abort procedures for a space shuttle uh, plus landing in California and landing in New Mexico so um you got to build it so they they did it and what is great about it is not only is there just this 747 from NASA that's sitting there that you can go in, which is great, uh, but uh, there is a one-to-one scale shuttle mock-up attached on its back, and that's the uh, the space shuttle Independence, which ironically is attached to an airplane. Yeah, not not independent. Also, not a real space shuttle. Like you said, it is a replica done by this company that. They do a lot of spacecraft replica stuff. There was a plaque on here talking about the company, and they even have supplied actual parts to NASA because the replicas in some cases are indistinguishable from actual first-party hardware, which is pretty cool. There are a couple of things I learned about the space shuttle carrier aircraft. That is really hard to say. Yeah. Uh, A couple of things. Uh, You mentioned the first one is that they, they had to use this weight system to make sure it all balanced out with the shuttle on and off of it. And like you said, they just... I guess some guy in a backhoe pushed a lot of gravel into the back of the plane when they needed it. It's just like a very funny picture in my mind. But they also uh, talk about how it's actually connected, and it used the same mounting points that the shuttle was connected to the the external fuel tank when it was all stacked together. And I just had never really considered the actual hardware, I guess, the, the, that how that would have worked. Um, and there's this picture, and it's been around, um, but... Uh, on one of these <laughs> mounting points, there's a note about attach attach orbiter here, note black side down. And for some reason, that really just cracks me up every time I come across that picture. It's like a little like a directions you would see on some some sort of toy. The guy, make sure you put the shuttle on uh, the right way around. Uh, but this this 747 was actually the, uh, the one, like you said, one of the two had a a long life in service of the shuttle program. And it is, um, I mean, in, in many of the sort of iconic pictures of the space shuttle, you see this plane that is now at Space Center Houston. So it was a real treat to to, to walk up to it 
Uh, in this exhibit, you can also walk into the shuttle. And something that really struck me there was the I mean, shuttle's huge compared to those capsules we talked about a few minutes ago. But most of it is cargo bay. You know, the space shuttle is kind of like the space-going pickup truck. The cab, if you will, or the crew quarters, is actually not very big at all. You really, you had the flight deck and some space downstairs. But looking at the shuttle, you would think, oh my gosh, there's so much room in there. There really wasn't. And you're talking about a much bigger crew than Apollo. Again, very cramped, uh, tight yeah, but it's good that when you do a one-to-one scale of the space shuttle, you really do get a sense of this of the scale of the crew quarters, and they're not not big. They're bigger than Apollo, obviously, but you can stuff seven people in there, and then it's uh, then it's pretty tight. And then yeah, you can look at the the shuttle bay, which is uh, nice and roomy. And um, I'll also point out uh, roughly the size of most of the uh, uh, Sp- international space station modules. Yep. For a good reason, because that was how they got up was in the shuttle bay. So uh, it's a little bit like how uh, the uh, what was it? The Panama Canal d- dictates the uh, limit of size of certain kinds of ships because right. they have to get through the Panama Canal. It's a little mm-hmm. like that. The space shuttle of cargo bay was a, a limiting factor on a bunch of the pieces of the ISS as well. But mm-hmm. it was fun. After uh, we have been spending so much time talking about the early part of uh, NASA and. Uh, recently the Apollo missions and to go there and start in the center with the big limb and walk through and see Mercury and Gemini and Apollo. It was kind of refreshing and fun to kind of leave the meatball logo behind and enter worm logo NASA, which is what I remember from being a kid in the space shuttle and the space shuttle carrier and the, all of the tests that they did and moving the shuttle back to Florida on the back. And it was it was fun to revisit that that era because we you and I have been focused so much on the 60s with our recaps lately. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. It, it was it was a neat part of the day and I've seen Atlantis I saw that at Kennedy in 2015 and the shuttle and this replica which is one for one is both larger and smaller than I expect it to be mm-hmm. right like not just the crew space which is tiny but the actual shuttle itself it seems like it should be enormous but then you see it on top of a 747 it doesn't look that big but then you look at Apollo it's like well it's huge it's it's very it's a weird uh, phenomenon in my mind anytime I, I come across a shuttle yeah, no, I agree. It, it on the back of the 747, it seems small because you're comparing it to another winged vehicle that's mm-hmm. larger than it. Um, but I would imagine, like in my mind, I picture it on the back of the uh, of the external tank and the SRBs, and then it seems enormous. Um, and I guess it's just all a matter of perspective. Um, I guess to round out our time at Space Center Houston itself, moving back inside, there are sections about missions to Mars, and there's a, uh, a mock-up of the SLS, which was sort of awkward when you've made fun of it on a podcast for two years. I, I have a great picture of you looking sad and, and uh, kind of awkward in front of a mock-up yeah. of the SLS. It's yeah. pretty funny. It's like, oh, hi. Hi there. Hi there, SLS. But uh, that stuff, you know, we, we talked about this, the challenge of running a place like this where dates are changing <sighs> all the time. And I feel like Space Center Houston's done a good job. There's not many I, not many things that have hard dates on them, right? It's like, oh, this is launching in 2020 or 2021 or 2017. It, that they, It's all sort of right. vague. And I'd imagine after the th- third or fourth time you change a display, you learn to, you learn to do that. 
Yeah, you and I have both been to science museums where they've got something that's outdated and it says, you know, the SLS will take off in 2016. And you mm-hmm. look at your watch and go, mm, it's not 2016 anymore. What What are you saying? The one thing I noticed throughout, um, and it's subtle, right? Because it's not a year. But if you follow space policy, you uh, and you and I do this, uh, you notice the telltale sign, which is that there's a lot of talk on a bunch of the, the signage about how we're going to have a mission to an asteroid and mm-hmm. the moon and then on to Mars. And it's like that asteroid stuff is Obama administration policy. So that's been undone as NASA policy for a little while now, but it still it lives on in the dioramas at various museums in places like that. But they did a pretty good job. Um, I, oh, I wanted to mention before we move on, uh, lots of spacesuits, including spacesuits that walked on the moon in, in the collection out in display cases at Space Center Houston. And I thought that was really great because uh, they, the, um, they have the John Young pressurized flight suit from STS-1. Mm-hmm. It's really They've cool. got Pete Conrad's Apollo spacesuit from his moonwalks. They've got a Sally Ride flight suit. Um, they've got, it's just like, there's a bunch of, from the, this whole era, um, the, the orange space shuttle suit, which I think, you know, uh, a space suit looks great in orange. That's just me. I, I love it. So that was, that was pretty cool from a purely kind of, I, I, it's a museum perspective. The idea that you get to see close up these, uh, spacesuits that are various degrees of ridiculous contraptions whipped up in order to keep people, alive in harsh conditions they look weird at times but uh the apollo spacesuits look real weird actually i expected you know i don't know i was thinking about like the big the big gold uh, dome that you see in the pictures when they're on the moon but when that thing is lifted up um that helmet and stuff it looks uh, kind of wacky but it was great to see all that stuff and i love that john young uh flight suit from sts1 it looked so uh dangerous and uh and we know how dangerous that mission was so that was great to see it was really neat and um they had a a space watch they did you were ooing and aahing at the uh at the uh i'm I'm a fan of the uh the the omega the omega moon watches i'm a big fan so that was cool to see something about that um but all in all i think it it was great you know there was definitely stuff in there that was it's geared more towards the general public so like those of us deep in the know i think the space center houston itself is really neat to see things and you can find gems there, but there's a lot of it that's sort of general public education, which is great. We need that sort of thing. So I would say anytime you go to someplace like this, as someone interested in this stuff, you kind of got to have that filter on that this is for people who aren't listening to space podcast every other Tuesday, <laughs> right? It's, it's people who are coming to learn or, um, and a lot of kids trying to get them excited about stuff. So, uh, I think they do a good job there. I think they really have a nice place. I agree. Um, so let's get into the tour a little bit, but you want to tell us about our first sponsor first? Sure. Uh, this episode of Liftoff is brought to you in part by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace, which lets you easily create a website for whatever your next idea is. With a unique domain, you can use their award-winning templates. There's a whole lot more. Whether you want to create an online store or a portfolio of your work or a blog to get your thoughts out on the internet, Squarespace can let you do it. It's an all-in-one platform. There's nothing to install. You're not installing software. You're not patching that software when there's a security hole on the internet somewhere. There's no upgrade to a new version of your server operating system that you need to do. Squarespace does all of that. You just use Squarespace's tools and not worry about the magical stuff that's happening behind the scenes to get you a website. 
the Squarespace takes care of all of that for you. And if you do have any issues, they have award-winning 24-7 customer support. If you need any help, they can help you quickly and easily grab a domain name. That's one of the things that I really like about this. So you're not going to be at some sort of random thing. It's whatever your great idea is, dot whatever, dot space, if you really want to. Uh, and we did that. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. You do not have to be a designer. You do not know need to know web design in order to use Squarespace. Now, Stephen, you were talking about how you use Squarespace to uh, to set people up who are not web professionals so that they can have their own websites. Absolutely. I have done this quite a few times with different like nonprofits or small organizations who they need a place to share their message and connect with people, but you know, they don't have a web guy on site. They really can't pay a consultant. I'm just kind of helping get it set up. And Squarespace is nice because you can go in and set it up. And it's so easy for someone to go in and just, you know, update a blog post, have a new blog post or change out photos or or content. And they don't have to worry about breaking things, which means I can kind of hand it off to them and it's theirs to run with. And uh, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. So Squarespace plans start at a low, low price, $12 a month. And you can start a trial for nothing, no credit card required, by going to squarespace.com slash liftoff. And when you sign up, use the offer code liftoff. You'll get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and show your support for this show. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash liftoff and the code liftoff to get 10% off your first purchase. Thank you to Squarespace for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. So the next day we did the level nine tour. Like you said, it's like 180 bucks. I, for one, I think you agree, totally worth it if you're into this stuff because you get to see things much more like up close and personal where the other tours are sort of at a distance. Right. Uh, it was most of the day. So we started in the morning. There was a lunch break and then we ended in the afternoon. We ended pretty, you know, pretty late into the afternoon. It was most of the day, which was great. And... It was a small group. We were there maybe with 10 people total, 12 people total, yeah. pretty small group. So we got to ask questions and, and get to talk, which was fun. And ours was led by a woman. I actually asked her. She's been doing it 17 years. Uh, she she There were a couple of things where, again, we host a space podcast. Like, oh, that information is a little out of date. But very clearly, she cared deeply about it, was spending time making sure that what she had was as up-to-date as possible, could answer questions. When she didn't know an answer, she said that and tried to find the answer, you know, for later in the day. Uh, I was um, I was really happy with how that sort of the mechanics of the tour worked for us. Yeah, yeah, it, it worked out pretty well. Um, and we got to see a bunch of stuff. The first stop at the Space Vehicle mock-up facility was funny because as we are walking around the floor of this thing that we're going to describe to you here, at one point we looked up. And on the like a second level height behind us was a, a glass paneled hallway mm-hmm. that tour groups were being led through. Yeah, <laughs> and we're just wandering around down on the floor, and that was uh, that was pretty great. And and taking our time, spending a lot of time that they didn't get to spend. Yeah, uh, I had a couple of moments like, oh wow, this is sort of a uh, sort of uncomfortable, but. Um... But yeah, so we started at the Space Vehicle Mock-Up Facility, and the easiest way to describe this is it's a warehouse that contains the International Space Station. Yeah. So there, there are all these modules of the space station. It doesn't have the, the solar panels and stuff because this is designed to train astronauts and ground crew even to walk astronauts through things on the inside 
of the modules. We'll get to training on the outside later, but this is the inside of the modules. They're all laid out the, the way they are on orbit. And it's just this huge warehouse with these giant things just sitting on the floor and, you know, staircases and, and desks and stuff all around them, you know, lots of computers and stuff. But uh, a pretty neat look at how they actually train for missions and experiments and maintenance on the inside of the space station. Right, because one of the things about Johnson Space Center is this is where the astronauts are, and this is one of the places that uh, is a primary training facility. There are others elsewhere, but astronauts come here and they train here. And so one of the things you do in your training is, um, you know, go through the things you're going to be doing on the International Space Station because you don't really have time to learn it when you're up there. You need to know it by the time you get up there. So they have these full-sized mock-ups of every module of the ISS and they are, uh, you know, the the one challenge is that they are on Earth, so there's gravity. So, you know, you're standing in one mm-hmm. orientation on there where, right. in fact, everything is oriented however you want to think about it in space. So uh, there's that. But still, you're basically, if you want to get an idea of the scale of the International Space Station, it doesn't have the, you know, the big uh, trusses with uh, solar panels on them and all that. But the actual modules that people are in, that all that stuff is laid out on the floor of this warehouse this very with a with a tall uh ceiling and a giant sort of crane system so that they can lift heavy pieces in and out yeah because the you know, space station does change over time and she was even talking about how some of the modules are obviously have stayed in place but they change the the internals around so that they move certain types of work from module to module over time and the team at Johnson works to keep this training facility as up-to-date as possible. Right, right. And then there's some stuff that they don't, you know, that they can't do there that they go, like there's a Japanese module and the best training for that is in Japan where they've got the like best trainer, but Mm -hmm. they have, they also have a trainer in Houston because you can't um, only just have it in the one location. So that was, uh, that was pretty great. And they've got other pieces. We, um, we got a look across a crowded floor at a, uh, at a beam yeah. Mock-up, yep. which was great. Little puffy, inflatable uh, beam module that's that was across the way. I, I took a selfie with that because I like the uh, I like those stories, the inflatable space habitat stories. So uh, we got one of those, and that was that was pretty great. And uh, and then we and this was a lot. Oh, there's also a lunar gateway mock-up too, which I'm not entirely sure is entirely uh, accurate based on what their current plan is but that's another thing that they're working on is you know you're going to send astronauts to this small space station in lunar orbit what's that going to be like they have a mock-up of that too and some of that is probably my guess is some of that's investigatory too which is like they built this mock-up and it's uh they're trying to get a handle on um what that would be and what the issues are but that was uh that was pretty cool to, to see as well. But there are definitely people whose entire jobs are thinking about these things that we only hear about as they get shuffled around in various policy debates in Washington. Yeah. 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 I mean, really, this facility is beyond the space station. So they, they did have like part of like the shuttle crew uh, compartment there, which they said they just left after the shuttle thing. Like it's here. It's not. It's I'm sure. I'm the sure that they'll pull it out if they need to, but they yeah. don't need to right now. For now, it's not in the way. Uh, they also had mock-ups of Orion and the Boeing CST-100 Dreamliner and the um, SpaceX capsule. In fact, the SpaceX is like right down the street, which was pretty funny. We drove by that a couple of times. Um, so all of this training for the, the inside of things, a lot of it happens 
here. And, you know, so it's kind of funny. You walk past like the Starliner and the outside of it is just like nothing, right? But it doesn't matter because what they're working on is is the inside. And this actually goes as far as, as they have a Soyuz capsule that is there as well, which was a real treat. I did not ever expect to see one of those up close. Uh, this was a, it was going to be a flight vehicle, but failed some testing. So it became a training vehicle and it's on loan to Johnson Space Center. And so you can see uh, inside of that and holy moly, I don't know how they fit three people. Yeah, that, Soyuz. <laughs> you talk about a small capsule with three people in it. The Soyuz is a small capsule with three mm-hmm. people in it. It's amazing. And they also do, one of the things that they're doing there is they're doing a, you know, cargo loading, packing stuff too, because that's one of the things that all of these capsules do is they're the, so the regular SpaceX Dragon, not the Crew Dragon, is like they have to practice unloading and unloading the cargo. And mm-hmm. Soyuz, it's not just astronauts in the capsule, but it's also loading and unloading content from the, you know, that they're, I think, below the seats there. So there's lots of stuff going on um, that uh, you don't, necessarily think about in in concrete terms until you see it in front of you which we did uh the back of the facility is home to several other sort of related things so they have a robotic section including r5 which like there's a link in the show notes it was part of darpa robotics challenge in 2013 there's also a section where uh local students come can come in and they sort of build robots to meet these different challenges. So there's a work area for students in the back, which I really love to see that. Uh, and they had mock-ups of future space vehicles that, you know, could be used on the moon or on Mars. So sort of next-gen concepts for rovers and for habitats. Things that are a ways away, but as research is happening, a lot of that happens in in this space. And it was very clearly a working space. We saw a few people milling about, but very clearly like we're walking through someone's workshop, you know, there, there's tools out, there's things out. And there was also a, a VR spot. So sort of this cubby where an astronaut in training can put on a VR headset and engage in an environment virtually, which I would imagine will be uh, more and more useful to NASA as that technology gets better uh, talking about training for different scenarios. So um, really neat, and again, really pushes the point home that Johnson is home to astronauts and astronaut training, that real things happen here, real training that that impacts missions on orbit. For sure. Uh, we moved uh, before lunch also to the Rocket Garden, which a lot of other space centers have. Uh, the treat here, of course, is the Saturn V. I am now three for three on Saturn Vs. There are three remaining ones, Johnson, Marshall and Kennedy. So this is my third one. I think that impressed me about this one is that it's basically ground level. So at Kennedy and at Marshall, you walk under them, which is impressive on its own. Like you're looking up at it and it's it's huge. But having it where you basically you walk in eye level with it really makes it feel enormous. You kind of walk in. Uh, the door we came in was at the bottom. You're basically looking right at the five F1 motors and Boy, oh boy, Saturn V always takes my breath away with its sheer size. Yeah, it's big. What can you say? Those 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 rocket motors are are just enormous. The, talk about scale again, right? This is not one of those things that you think, oh, it's smaller than I thought. Nope, it's 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 huge. As big as it is in your mind, it's bigger in reality. Absolutely. So it's they have it set up where the stages are separated. 
So you can see the staging and how they how they connect. And then they have, I believe it was the capsule that would have been for Apollo 19, I think is what they have um, at the nose of it. So it's all assembled as it, as it would have been. But the story they tell about it is that this was just outside for decades. And they built this warehouse building around it and then worked to uh, to renovate it to, and restore the rocket. So there are these photos as you walk through this gallery of holes in the side of it, you know, animals making their homes in it. And uh, a team came in and really did years of work to sort of bring it back to how it would have been uh, after it was built. And I think out of the three, I haven't seen the Kennedy one in like four years, but uh, to memory, this is the best looking one that I think it's been restored the most recently. And it really is spectacular. It's a big rocket. Big, big rocket. It is. The um, idea that it was outside for a couple of decades getting um, rained on. Hurricaned. You know, hurricaned every once in a while. So then they they built a building around it. And it's it's better now. Much better. Um, so yeah, it was a real treat. They had also, they had um, outside vertically, they had rockets from the Mercury and Gemini missions and seeing those and think that's a really big rocket. And then you walk inside and realize that, ha ha. you know, those Redstone and, and Atlas rockets are just nothing compared to the Saturn V, nothing at all. And it gives you a real uh, respect for what the SLS will be. You know, it's it's going to be this class of rocket and, you know, kind of looking at one end of it and looking down, it's like, it's going to be uh, going to be massive when they get it done. All right. Uh, I want to talk about the neutral buoyancy lab, which I thought was going to be the highlight of the trip is what I was looking forward to the most, but it got outshone by the, our last stop. Uh, but first, let me tell you about our second sponsor, and that is Circle. Circle can help your kids have a healthier relationship with technology. Kids have lots of distractions now. It seems like way more than I had when I was young. Uh, and we know that it's important for kids to step away from technology and enjoy other things like after-school dinners and game nights or just watching a movie together. And Circle is the easiest way to help you manage that, to manage your family's online time across all of their devices, and really importantly, both inside and outside the house. Circle Home Plus works with the Circle app, so parents can filter what content is allowed, set limits for screen time, monitor history and usage, and each family member has a profile that's fully customizable for their needs, age, maturity. Circle sent me a Circle Home Plus a couple of months ago. And I set it up on my network and I've tried different filtering things in the past. And I think Circle wins for the, just the ease of use. Many of these are dashboards and it's kind of confusing about what settings you're applying to what devices. And Circle really makes that stuff really easy. So you're not suddenly becoming like some sort of server admin in your home. You can just set it up and know what you uh, what is happening on your network what your kids are up to. Right now, listeners can get a super limited time offer for $30 off a Circle Home Plus. When you visit meetcircle.com slash liftoff, that's M-E-E-T-C-I-R-C-L-E.com slash liftoff, enter the code liftoff at checkout to save 30 bucks. With Circle, you can make sure your kids have a healthy relationship with technology. Our thanks to Circle for their support of Liftoff and all of Relay FM. So the... Neutral Buoyancy Lab, of course, is the yes. giant swimming pool that a space station crashed into, basically. Yeah, that's what it looks basically, like. Basically, it's a very, 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 very large swimming pool. Um, and by that, uh, it's 200 feet by 100 feet, basically, which is 62 meters by 31 meters. 
and it's 40 feet, 6 inches, or 12.34 meters deep. So that's 6.2 million gallons Whew. of water, 23.5 <laughs> million liters of water. And the ISS is in there because the, they, they have a mock-up of the external part of the International Space Station because you need the, the reason it exists is to do spacewalk testing. And this is a newer facility that they built because there's so much exterior of the ISS. But it won't actually fit the whole ISS in its actual configuration. So there are parts of it that are kind of like chopped up into different segments in the pool. And if you are going from one part, if your spacewalk is from this part to some other part, you may have to relocate to do the rest of the rehearsal, mm-hmm. um, including the, those big, uh, the, the, uh, where the, the solar panels are along the truss segment of the space station. They've got, a, they've got portions of those, but they, they can't fit the whole thing because the pool is, uh, is already really, really, really large already. And when we were there, we got to see there were uh, there was a, an astronaut. Uh, were there two? There was at least one. I guess there are always two, right? And uh, and divers. There are like four or five uh, safety divers, um, some of whom are you know they're also camera people because they're they're everybody's watching and communicating with the astronauts. So it's a it's a it it was quite a thing. And we spent a little bit of time sort of like just staring down into the pool. It was uh, it was spectacular. Yeah, it was. You walk in and, you know, if you can picture like maybe it was windy outside and your lawn chairs got flung into your pool by the wind, you know, it's like that. But like you said, it's all chopped up. And I didn't realize how this is a relatively new facility, but the idea of this being a a pretty old one, like they're talking about like in the Apollo days, like Buzz Aldrin had thoughts about this and, and ideas of how this could work. It was way back. And it lets you simulate these moves on the outside. One thing I, I wouldn't have thought about, of course, is that water has drag. So that is the difference between training in the pool and doing something outside at the space station is as you move your arm through the water, you know, you have resistance from the water. But of course, in the vacuum of space, you don't. So that is different. But other than that, it's a pretty good analog, the best we could do in training for these um these spacewalks. And so this is sort of the the other side of the coin from the, the previous facility we were in, where that was the inside of the space station. This is the outside of the space station. Uh, this has changed over time. So, you know, they would have had um, like the shuttle cargo bay in the past or, or things, uh, mock-ups of like the Hubble Space Telescope when that was being serviced by astronauts. And now it's not. So they pulled that out. So much of these facilities has to change over time. And so I would imagine at some point, you know, if um, if EVAs at the Lunar Gateway are a possibility, that'll get dropped in the pool and, and other hardware that astronauts need to interface with on the outside. Uh, and so it all takes place here. And like I said I thought this would be the highlight for me because I've always I've always loved this facility, seeing videos and photos of it. Just uh, the size of it one is a bit overwhelming when you walk in, just the size of the pool. But just the the cleverness of the idea always really struck me and it, it was it was a real treat to see that and to see it being used where there's divers and an astronaut in the water and you can see bubbles going you see them moving under the surface uh, it was pretty cool yeah i loved it i loved it and it also smelled the moment we walked in um before we took the elevator up the moment we walked in it did smell vaguely like a swimming pool which also made me laugh but yeah so, yeah there's yeah. a lot of treated water mm-hmm. in this facility a, a lot of treated <laughs> six, water. 6.2 million gallons of it yeah yeah. 
we also got to see the uh, actual like working. They're doing things in front of us. ISS mission control and mission control for the it's for the U.S. side of the space station. Of course, Russia has um, has their own. Science has run out of Marshall, which can actually take over for Houston entirely. They were sharing with us that they have protocols. If of course Houston, even just a couple of years ago, is susceptible to hurricanes and to some pretty nasty tropical weather, and they have procedures set in place where Marshall can take over for Houston if Houston is without power or people can't get to work or whatever it may be, and how they run through that. Um, that procedure every so often. So this one flight director who spoke to us was uh, speaking about that and how he's actually part of that team that if the weather gets really bad, he flies to Marshall and, and does his work there for however long it takes. Uh, so redundancy, even in location is, uh, is an important part of this because the ISS is, you know, 24 hours a day now for a really long time. And they also really talked about the international partners and the cooperation, not only between the U.S. and Russia, but Japan, the European Space Agency, how they all sort of work together. And Houston is the hub of all of that. Uh, Even things where uh, uh, the Russian Space Agency needs to do something on their side, uh, even then Houston is sort of the conduit for all of that, Um, if not communication, at the very least planning and strategy. And it was... It was very much a modern version of what you think of when you think about the Apollo mission control, right? There's still people that are just in front of computers now, all with multiple screens, but there's still a flight controller. There's still, you know, a surgeon, all those sort of play, all those sort of team members. And there's a Capcom, and and they're all working together, sort of in yeah. the the style that we talked about last time with that Chris Kraft really came up with. That's still in effect, like to this day. And we should say this is the Christopher E. Kraft mission control building that all of these are in. So it's uh, named for him. And uh, we got to uh, talk, our group got to talk with a, uh, what was he, ground control? Mm-hmm. Who was, like, literally after he talked to us, he emerged in the bil- in the room and began planning the handover. Because we were there right before a, uh, a shift change. And uh, so that was pretty great. And uh, we also had uh, what, uh, we didn't get to see any capsule communication you know capcom uh, with the iss stuff because they were they were in their private time not mm-hmm. yet at the sleep period i guess but what they do is they have a a sleep period and then they have the the uh, rest of the time yeah yeah so it was uh but still neat though they and they keep an eye on it 24 hours a day seven days a week for since what 2003 or something when the first crew was on the national space station i think they i think they said that they've been there uh not in that room that they moved in that room uh, later, but that they've been twenty four seven since sometime in the nineties because it was when they started to launch before there were even crews there. They still had to monitor the pieces that were being assembled. Okay, so it's been a long time that that room has been twenty four seven, which is funny when you think about it because um, in the old approach to mission control, which we're about to talk about. Uh, the mission would end, and then the mission is over. But with the ISS, the mission is never over. It is, uh, it is twenty four seven, and has been for this entire century so far, and even back before that. And the the crewed presence has been in the ISS since what I think two thousand, something like that. So um, it is uh, always in action, 
at that uh, at the ISS Mission Control Room. And it's smaller than I thought, I guess. I, I, I was talking about scale on this show. It's smaller than I thought in a way, because it really is just, you know, four rows of desks with computers. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's and then the screen on the other side. It's, uh, it's yeah, it's smaller than I thought, but... It does the job. They keep the uh, the ISS flying. And they also stay in communication with the other international partners. So, like, there's a mission control for the Russian modules that's in Moscow. And then, you know, there's a Japanese mission control and there's a German mission control. And they, they keep in touch. And we know that also that there are people in places like Huntsville that are involved in what's going on in terms of the stuff that's on there. So it's, a, it's, it's not all happening in the ISS mission control in Houston, but it is perhaps the, um, the center of all of this. All right, we got to talk about this. The big finish. Here it is. Good show biz. They left it for last. Yeah. So we got to not only see, but go into the restored Apollo mission control room, which was just spectacular. So you walk into the the uh, viewing room up above. There's a video uh, going through the Apollo 11 landing. It is narrated by uh, Gene Krantz, and there's video on the TVs, but also like the screens in the control room are all showing the data that would have been shown during the landing. And it was even listening, having listened to 13 minutes on the moon, it was sort of intense to experience it in, in, in the room. Like I know this audio really well now, thanks to that podcast, but uh, getting to <laughs> see it all sort of play out was really special. And they, then they said, Hey, we actually get to take you all uh, down into the room. And there's a bunch of pictures of this in my blog post. You should definitely go look at them because in a way, talking about it doesn't do it justice. It really feels like a very special place. And the, the thing that really struck me, especially looking back through my photos, is the details of this restoration. So it's not just the consoles and the desks, but there's a little table with like coffee stuff on it. And it's all period correct you know, yep. labels on the coffee cans. Yeah, the coffee and... coffee servers next to the big heavy uh, phones and mm-hmm. uh, all the ashtrays and everything like that. Yeah, it's very, it is, you know, it is lovingly restored and it is being, you know, museum restored to original condition, including the documentation and the, all the accoutrements that are in the in, on the desks and on the table in the corner. And they tried very hard right down to the, what is it? They they had to make new linoleum based on a sample. They actually had to have the manufacturer who's still in business, but they don't make that linoleum anymore. So they had to make a new matching linoleum style, mm-hmm. and they had to make. They found the wallpaper and uh, matched that. And I know we mentioned some of this in the past because you and I both did the Kickstarter, and it was cool when they were doing it and when it opened. But um, to see it, like they have taken every detail in fact there's a little room to the side that was the test room that was where they would because mission control we we see in movies like testing the astronauts well they would test mission control too with accidents and see what their reactions are and sharpen their their reactions to various possibilities and that room's off to the side and i walked in there briefly and that, that room has also even though you might even miss it or just briefly look in the window that room has also been completely restored to 1960s height uh of uh brown fabrics yeah. and it's a lot of brown and green like a lot of yeah. brown and green <laughs> yeah uh, the room has some some really just amazing artifacts in it that you just don't see when you watch old footage. There's a replica of the Apollo 11, the 
plate that was on the the leg of the limb, you know, the we yeah. come in peace for all mankind with their signatures. There's a replica of that that was installed in the room after Apollo 11, so it's there. There's also the flag that would have been flown on the moon for Apollo 13. A later Apollo crew took that with them and then brought it back. They thought that that flag should be able to go to the moon. They planted their own, but then the 13 flag came back and was hung in uh, in mission control. And there's uh, also a uh, – I have a picture of it. I'm trying to find it as I speak. Uh, there's also a uh, a mirror that was flown on Aquarius, which was the limb for Apollo 13, and it was brought back um, – with the crew, and they ended up hanging it over the water fountain in the room with this inscription um, saying, returned by a grateful Apollo 13 crew to reflect the image of the people in mission control who got us back. And then there it has their names on it. So it's above the water fountain. The idea is you get some water on your shift and you look up and you see this mirror and you you read this and it's a really powerful reminder of what happened on 13. So these little touches that you only notice when you're in the room – it was a real, uh, it was a neat experience to to see those, and you look at these pictures, and you know there, there's, it was a working environment, right? There's papers, there's notebooks. Uh, they they were mentioning that, I forget, it was a hundred something black binder notebooks that were known to be in the room, and they were able to track them all down. So they had basically a campaign on at Johnson Space Center, like, hey, if you have stuff at home from this mission control room, we would like it back as part of this restoration. So they have all the consoles, all these notebooks. It was obviously a team effort with the restoration itself, but it seems like the community of Johnson Space Center all, you know, kind of pitched in to make this possible. And it would, it, you know, this may sound cheesy, but it really felt like sort of like a hollowed ground in a way to, to be in there and I sent a picture of it to my dad, who remembers. I mean, he he was a boy when Apollo landed on the moon. He remembers it clearly. He was like, "It's exactly what it looked like on TV." And I was like, "Well, I'm standing in the room. Like this is exactly how it was." Yeah, no, it, it, you're right. It it is a historic place. I mean, it is literally it is registered as a historic place, but it is a such a historic place that that then went on being used for a while which is why they really needed to restore it to this moment in time mm-hmm. and they did a they did a spectacular job it it feels very special to be there in that room and know all that went on not just Apollo 11 but so much more including Apollo 13 and you know failure is not an option let's work the problem all of that stuff in that room and then when you come in to the the space you're in the viewing area where visitors could watch Mission Control, and that's also been restored. Those are the seats and the fabrics from that viewing area, which famously, you know, was when they landed on the moon, people cheered in there, and and uh, and Gene Kranz got on the loop with everybody. Is like, let's keep it down. <laughs> we gotta because they had to do their stay no stay and all of that. And so we got to be in there, and they did a very good thing. One of the things I was impressed by is there's a presentation that's narrated by Gene Kranz that that uh, plays back uh, two or three key moments in Apollo 11, mm-hmm. and the lights all come on. The lights are all off in the in the uh, room, but the lights all come on, and what you see on the consoles and on the screens is what would have been there during those moments and they play the audio from the loops. And I thought they did a really good job with that. And my only note about that is that I kind of, 
I mean, it's great because Apollo 11 is so important that you need to uh, mark that moment. That is the moment. And yet part of me was like, uh, I kind of wish they'd do a Apollo 13 thing and put that in here too. Because that was, I think, the I, iconic moment in terms of the people in that room, right? In a way, they were the enablers for what happened in Apollo 11, and it's important to do that. But I feel like the Apollo 13... Uh, moments in that room were maybe just as dramatic. And uh, I don't know, but can I put out, just I'm going to put out a vibe out there that would be really great if whoever built this thing was working on maybe unveiling a new um, module for it next year when it's the 50th anniversary of Apollo 13. I think uh, I would love for something else, but it is it is a special place. And I, I feel very fortunate to uh, have been able to, I think on our tour to walk down in there I'm not sure that the big tram tours get to do that. I don't know. But we got to, you know, not just be in that room, but then go down the little side passage and get down in on the floor. And that was that was special. That's a special moment. That's like a, a moment off of my uh, my life list to be in the historic mission control. Yep. Very cool. And uh, and then I took you to the airport. And then uh, my chocolate bar melted yeah. in at the end. The end. <laughs> so, yeah, we had, we had a lot of fun. Um, it was great. And we should do... More field trips. Great to see the uh, the people at, at our impromptu meetup. It was about half a dozen people. Really nice to see them and glad that they could come out to uh, to to raise a glass in Houston. And uh, this is our first liftoff field trip, but there will be more. Oh, yes. yes, there will be more. I don't know when. I don't know where. It's going to depend. Maybe we will go to uh, attempt to, to go to a launch in Florida. That would be pretty great. Uh, but we'll we'll do more, and it was a lot of fun on fairly short notice and sort of randomly on a Sunday night in Houston to to meet uh, some liftoff listeners and also make a new liftoff listener. That's right. Who came and hadn't listened to the show, so I'm sure we have converted him now. And and we converted somebody on the tour because you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because I was wearing a liftoff shirt, so yeah, yeah that we we because we introduced ourselves and we're like we do a podcast about space, and it's one of the few yeah. places that people don't raise an eyebrow. That's in it. Yep. If you uh, want to. See more about what we spoke about today, head on over to relay.fm slash liftoff slash 105. Like I said, I have a link to 512 Pixels with a bunch of photos. Please go check that out. Before we go, we should mention that this is August, and August is membership month here at Relay FM. So you can learn more at relay.fm slash membership, or if you go to the liftoff webpage, there's a join thing there in the sidebar. Uh, membership supports our shows directly. And there are perks all year round, newsletters, uh, podcasts that are just for members. But in August and September, shows do member-only specials where the, those shows just go out to our members. And Jason, for the Liftoff membership special, I'm making you do something you said you were never going to do again. Yeah, I'm going to watch Armageddon again, which is a mm-hmm. highly scientific movie about yes. space. It, I, it's basically a documentary. So we're going to uh, we're going to get into that a little bit later in August. I was thinking, what's the worst space movie we could do, and that came to mind. So we'll uh, we'll have fun with that. Uh, so we would love your support if you are a member of Liftoff or any other show on Relay FM. Thank you for your support. It means uh, it means the world to us. And until next fortnight, Jason, say goodbye. Watch out for melted chocolate, everybody. (laughs) Adios.